0: Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Hi there. Good morning, Tom. How are you this morning? I am very well. Thank you. <laughs> Good man. Listen, what are you going to do this week? What photograph have you lined up?
1: Uh, this week it's uh, about the pools. I have a photograph of what we knew as the pools in Salt Hill.
0: Indeed. Uh, you.
1: Th- these were uh, formally blessed in 1930 <laughs> by Canon Davis. So they were built sometime in the 20s. I haven't been able to get an exact date as yet, but I will. Uh, Now, at the time, uh, there was very little beach in Hill compared to what there is today. I would remember, as you would, Ronnie, growing up, a lot of rocks and stones and so on. And uh, they built these pools. It was like a small kind of Lido-type arrangement. And as I said, they were blessed in 1930, by Canon Davis. There were two pools. One would have been kind of inf- an infant's pool. Uh, the floor of these pools were sloped. The first one, uh, it was all sand. The floors were sand, I beg your pardon. Uh, the first one was sloped, so it went to a depth of about 18 inches. The second one uh, was, in fact, uh, a bit deeper. These were
0: tidal pools as the tide came in. I remember them. I remember going there with my mother. Yeah, Yeah, that's water bored
1: into these pools. The second pool was about three foot deep. Yeah. Uh, And these were absolutely ideal for people learning to swim. Yeah. Whether they were children or whether they were adults who were a bit nervous, you know, uh, they they were absolutely ideal. And then on the seaside of the, Pools. There were seven diving boards, no less than seven diving boards, and these were very, very much used by people who were kind of teaching themselves to dive. Nice, right. so not only, not only were there um, just individuals learning and teaching and finding out how to swim, but almost every evening during the summer, there were organized swimming classes either by Jimmy Cranny from the oh, Swimming Club or yeah, we from Christy Do. Christy yeah. Dooley from Blackrock. Yeah,
0: Tom, was, so, this the, the, was this the ladies' beach now? Were, were this, yes, this is oh. at the ladies we're talking about. So men weren't uh, encouraged to go there, is that right? Well,
1: now, this is the point. It wasn't <laughs> known as the ladies' beach until about then, as far right. as I know. Right. Uh, and no, men were absolutely discouraged by Bishop O'Doherty Good in man. particular.
0: Good man. He
1: actually wrote a letter to the Irish Times saying it was me who ejected the men from this mm. they were immoral and etc mm. uh, and of course this uh, like blackrock then became a kind of a male bastion if you like yeah and um <clears throat> bishop michael brown who came after daugherty he kept this uh, kind of regime going no mixed bathing signs went up it's <laughs> all no Men only in Black Rock, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. it was kind of ludicrous when you think of a family resort. Yes, really splitting up families. Yes, yeah, so the mum, the mum, and the
0: children went to one side of the beach, and the the dad went off to the men only. Tom, yeah, you know, I, I remember. I, I, like, we had we had an in, a brilliant series of letters in the Galway Advertiser many, many, many years ago because ladies began to infiltrate the men only at Black Rock. And yes. we had a great letter writer who signed himself Black Rock Dipper, and he was infuriated at this invasion of women. And he said, words to the effect, that is nothing sacred. But of course, this <laughs> elicited was a stream of vector from women absolutely furious that a man who only was only a black rock dipper could try and keep women out from where there was decent swimming facilities, good diving facilities, and, you know, the, the pleasantness of the smooth rock to dress and undress. So I, I always enjoy that, the black rock dipper. So yeah, I think... Yeah. I think
1: the, the women, the the so-called invasion by women of Blackrock began when Michael Brown died. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the kind of thing... Like he used to sunbathe in the nude in Blackrock.
0: No, no Tom, you know,
1: no, Tom. The bishop, yeah. I no, mean, Tom, anyway, you know, there was a great story about um, <laughs> him accosting a lady once on the prom. Yeah. And she was dressed in a bikini. Yeah. And he <laughs> yeah. very haughtily said, you cannot appear in public with just... That, those clothes on you and she said um, which bit would you like me to remove first <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that kind of finished that argument
0: i know yes yes
1: at least but, we hope it did anyway
0: well a lot of priests used to say their bravery on Tail, walking up and down and priests used to switch but but on a lighter note tom Seamus Heaney of which i know you're familiar with uh, and his wonderful poem girls bathing at salt till bare legs yes. smooth shouldered and long-backed they wade ashore with skips and shouts so venus comes yes and his poem is to be read with pleasure because he wrote that with a twinkle in his eye is to be yes, read he with was, he was the... on honeymoon was he he
1: was on honeymoon at the time yeah That's a great and poem. furthermore if you want to read it even better just simply go out to the prom and stand there at one of the pillars opposite ladies beach and the poem is there in bronze lovely you're actually looking at the site that he was depicting in his poem and it makes it even better and nicer
0: yeah i love that idea of the poems around the town well well, well i'm i'm doing something now a little bit different kind of with um the irish language in view um I, I've talked about the last couple of weeks about um, Seamus O'Byrne's play on Doctor. And after the Arachthus, uh, huge success in Dublin in 1904, it came down to the town hall in Galway, where it played to packed houses. People were very entertained and very amused by it. But extraordinary one night, Sir Roger Casement was in the audience. Now, Roger Casement is one of these... Enigmatic Irishman, really, Um, a Protestant born in poor circumstances in Dublin, had a brilliant career in the British colonial service and really overstepped his position, I think, really in writing about uh, the Belgian exploitation of the natives and the lucrative rubber industry uh, in the Congo, uh, now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. But at the time, he made this absolutely scurrilous report of how the Belgians were treating the natives. And uh, when his report was published, it caused mayhem because the king of the Belgians himself, Leopold something or other, had a lot of shares in the rubber industry in the Congo personally. And uh, he had a, he was really scandalized. Well, he pretended to be scandalized. He had to sell his shares and he lost face big time. But anyway, um, Casement was in the audience. He was a non-Irish speaker, actually, Casement. But uh, he just he just escaped from London from all the publicity of his report a few months before that. And uh, he had been to the town hall, saw the play on doctor very interested in it and drove out to Town Island to speak to Seamus O'Burn himself. And um, ah, well, I'm writing about it, really a huge argument in town at the time, probably poked by Seamus O'Byrne a little bit. They had a school, a little schoolhouse. there, a small island, maybe 200 families living there. There was a small little national school and the lady teacher taught in English. And so the local people said, no, no, we want them to speak Irish. It's the language of their home. We want them to be, you know, to talk Irish as the vernacular at the school. So the lady wouldn't do it. She withdrew her services and the poor school was let go to rotten ruin. And when um, casement arrived, that was the situation. The only national school in Town Island was now virtually a ruin. And the authorities told the islanders, if you want that school back, you'll have to pay. You will have to pay to put that school in its rights to correct all the, to do all the repairs that were necessary. And if you want an Irish-speaking teacher, you'll have to pay for one. So what a wonderful row to happen around yes, Patrick's day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Isn't it just? I know, I know. I yeah. Yeah, so are yeah, you an Irish speaker, Tom? Are you an Irish speaker? Do you speak Irish at home?
1: I No. No, 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 no. But I speak, we, well, we speak a lot of Irish in business. <clears throat> uh, and curiously, uh, we sell more Irish language books abroad than we do in this country. Really? Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, there's huge interest in the diaspora and also in academic circles uh, abroad. People who would regard the language as dying. And therefore, it's kind of incumbent on them. It's part of their duty to revive it and revive interest in it and so on. And yeah. Anyway, it's it's an absolutely beautiful language. It's far more poetic than uh, the English language and uh, and far more musical as well. Uh, and the accents become very distinct, whether you're in Kerry or Connemara or Donegal or County Mead, uh, you know They're very distinct. In fact, I remember we had an exhibition about 20 years ago <clears throat> all about Menlo, just beside Galway. Yeah, And it was opened by Joe Connolly, uh, who's a resident there. And uh, there was a lot of Irish spoken. And everybody went into Freemies afterwards. And I was the last in. I was locking up and so on. And as I walked in the door of Freemies, I stopped. Because I could hear an awful lot of Irish, but it was different. And it took me a moment or two to realise that they had their own kind of connoins, their own accent. It was slightly different to Connemara Irish, to Limerick Irish, to whatever. It was quite individual. And so... That's all around the country, actually. But it's a beautiful I language.
0: I know. No good man. I understand yeah. that. Good. Casement's, Casement um, went to the Aran Islands on this particular holiday. He wanted to get away from the publicity of his report and, of course, Galway and out the people in town. Um, but his observations were a, a great phrase that the parents had kicked language out the door had kicked the Irish language out the door. Lovely. And the reason for that was that their children, sadly, were emigrating. And, you know, they wanted their children to speak English for that reason. And yes. it was really very sad that events were to kill the language rather than disinterest, you know. and. Yes. Um, You know, Casement admits it himself. He wrote a long letter to Clive Solis anyway, and they set up a big collection to save the school in town. A great story, I think. But, you know, but his lamentation was that, look, you know, parents, because of emigration, they're just ignoring uh, the language because they don't want their child going to America, only able to speak Irish. They don't want their child certainly working on the building sites in Britain only able to speak Irish, they'd be tormented by the other people. So it was a rather sad state of affairs, you know.
1: Yes, I remember in in the very early 70s, there was uh, a movement which called themselves the Language Freedom Movement, the LFM. And their philosophy was to get rid of the Irish language altogether for all of the reasons you have just outlined that it was useless dead language and that it was no good to anybody doing business or going abroad or working abroad or anything. And this particular member who should remain nameless of the (laughs) LFM came into our shop one day and he stood in front of my mother And he gave her about a five minute speech about the evils of the Irish language and why we should get rid of it and why it was useless and dead and and so on. And uh, he ended up then with an appeal for money to help finance the language freedom movement.
0: (laughs) Oh, the wrong person to speak. to!
1: And my mother, all she said was. He Fuckle at all
0: That's all. Yeah, good And he mom.
1: was literally left like a oh, lighthouse that. in a bog. Yeah, I love brilliant that. but useless. You know,
0: well, it know. was wonderful. I
1: love that. Anyway, just on the pools. The reason yeah. I have written about the pools is that they had gradually filled in with sand and became useless and couldn't use them at all. And eventually, the corporation covered them with concrete. Now, three young men in Galway, three young Gal regions, Morgan and Ronan McGuire, and their cousin Stephen Tumman, have put an appeal <laughs> into the corporation to rework the pools, make them usable again, uh, that they would be kind of inexpensive, very highly used, very popular, etc., yeah, and day. so on, and. Uh, This appeal has gone into the corporation. I've put an address in the advertiser. If anybody wants to add their name to it, they can. But what I think is wonderful, Ronnie, is the fact that here are three young Galwegians taking a great interest in their own environment and in possibly trying to improve it. And uh, I hope that it succeeds. There will be those who, like the... Black Rock Dipper, disagree. <laughs> don't want to change at any cost. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. you know, but um, I think uh, it's a lovely idea and has to I be think so. done. I like the idea of the yes. So yeah, exactly. That's I like the idea of the leader thing, you know, it could be nicely tiled. We don't see those swimming classes the way we used to. They're probably going ahead in leisureland. Yeah, exactly. When you I mean, and I were learning yeah. to swim, we were out in the cold sea, Jimmy Craddy, which was it yes. was Hard taskmaster, but he did <laughs> me to swim. He did teach me to swim, but the weather was often very inclement. But, um, I like the idea of the pools being brought back to use. Um, you know, there's yes. definitely bigger crowds in salt Hill than ever. I know we're in lockdown now, but huge crowds uh, are walking and quite a number of people are swimming. Um, you know, even in this, oh,
1: yeah, a lot more than ever. Oh, I would
0: say yeah. definitely that. Yeah. yeah, It seems to be a thing now. Yeah. and I hear great conversations. People are enjoying themselves. Uh, their children might sit on the beach and watch mum go in for a swim. But yeah, uh, that's it, right. it's such a great usage of Salt Hill, you know, even in the wintertime. Yeah. It's
1: and used- there is a lot more beach uh, now than there was. Yeah, they, There was a Salt Hill development organisation <clears throat> uh, made up of B&Bs and hotels and the few businesses that were in Salt Hill in the 30s and 40s. And they used to gather money. <clears throat> they rented out, leased out the hangar ballroom. And they actually, in addition to paying rent, they handed over about £10,000 to the corporation. And this is in the 1940s. But all of the money was to be used in developing Salt Hill. Oh. And one of the things they did in the hangar was they had their own band. Johnny Cox was the resident yeah. band leader there, yeah. and they wrote their own songs. And they had things like uh, songs like "Come and Dance" with Johnny Cox and "Help Us to Remove the Rocks," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> and it was very effective because that's what they started—a process mm. of removing rocks mm. that every dancing step you take will. Help us yeah, to remove yeah. another. Great root. idea. Great fun. And
0: yeah. yeah, but certainly there's much more beach now than ever there was. They, 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 the corporation have learned how to create sand, actually. They um, yeah. like create long sort of piers of rough stone and seems to build up sand on the inside. That's of the exactly right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's great to see it Yeah, I just love yeah. it.
1: And it's great to see it being used by all ages and all yeah. sexes.
0: and And, and throughout mm-hmm. the year. It's not just a summer thing, you know. Oh, so, no, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the women that um, Seamus Heaney wrote about. Uh, in fact, on the day we unveiled the plaque, the bronze plaque of his poem, uh, by arrangement, a group of those women suddenly appeared on the beach and dashed into the water. <laughs> and of course, every photographer there had to drag <laughs> Seamus down to meet up. Hair laced,
0: smooth shoulders. Well, it was terrific. That. They wade ashore with skips and shouts so Venus comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Was that. Lovely. And yeah. it was Isn't a great it?
1: day in Solitaire, that.
0: Of course it was. Yeah. Lovely yeah. that Seamus came back to do that. But he was that yeah. type of man, as you know yourself.
1: Yeah, he was very thrilled, uh, yeah. genuinely thrilled, uh, at the bronze. Yeah. And at the kind of fun. And I have to tell you. He drew so many people that the traffic was blocked for a while on the prom. Really? Yeah. It was weird. It was wonderful. I know. d hundreds of school children turned up. It was terrific. He
0: seemed and to he have had a, a love for Galway, I thought, you know. I mean he did very good readings here. And his readings got better and better as he became more confident. And in the end, his readings were powerful. They were a wonderful, wonderful display of his talent. I remember being very moved. The last one I heard him do it in the university, uh, in aid of cancer care, actually.
1: Yes, I was there.
0: Were you really, (coughs) Tom? I was. The most extraordinary occasion, really, I felt. He
1: arrived uh, with his wife, Mary, one evening, and we were literally just about to close the door.
0: <clears throat> in the gallery. So we said, well, you can come yeah. to
1: the board meeting. Uh, and hey, where is the board meeting? Yeah, he said, it's in Murphy's Pub over there. <laughs> oh, I will go to that board meeting. <laughs> so we were standing inside the door. There were five of us. With our drinks. And this man came over. He was a street cleaner with the corporation. Now, I say this very advisedly. I would never, ever patronize this man. But that's what he was. He used to push the bin and, and sweep the streets. He had his overalls on and he had a pint. And he came I think over I know the man. He was very polite. And he said, I wonder, Mr. Heaney, could you ever do me a very great personal favor? And Shame said, well, if I can, I will. And he said, would you ever shake my hand? Oh. so we all kind of uh, took a half step back
0: <laughs>
1: and Seamus shook his hand yeah. and they began a conversation and they started to talk about two poems that Seamus first published in The Honest Ulsterman, which was a small enough little literary journal in Belfast in the early 60s. And these poems reappeared in one of his collections later. But he had made minor changes to them. And here was the street cleaner telling the laureate why he preferred the originals. Oh, yeah. It was an absolutely magical couple of moments. And then he went back to his buddies, this man, and we were all absolutely thrilled. We were terrified we'd break the magic of this meeting. And uh, but we weren't half as filled as Seamus was. He, he felt deeply honoured by this conversation. It was lovely. And it shows the modesty of the man. And also, he was the people person, you know, above all.
0: Totally. Uh, totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lovely story, Tom. Well told. Well told. Yeah.